Hello, everyone, and welcome to Open Sources Co-op here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, 12th Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of PostElectionCom, Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, greetings to all our listeners in Guelph, the county, and in Puvernatuk, Quebec. Wow, I didn't know we got that far. I didn't know the signal carried that far. <laughs> it does now. <laughs> <laughs> the wonders of modern telecommunications. Yeah, cool. Uh, Somebody got the uh, election coverage. Uh, that if you sh- really should look at it on Google Maps, I was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's still our country or the country or this country, but it was like, wow, I'm so glad somebody's. If we can so help- whoever you are, bonsoir. <laughs> <laughs> if we can help anyone anywhere, that's what we're find out who's on the school board and wards one and five. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take yeah. it. We're here to help. Mm-hmm. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be. The outgoing Ward 3 City Councilor, June Hofflin, who will talk to us about all the lessons she learned, uh, the unfinished business she's leaving behind, and her lessons for the new council and her hopes for the new council as well. And that will all be in the back half of the show. Before that, though, we're going to talk about a few news items from the past week, including Queen's Park. The municipal election is over, so that means the legislature is back in session. And uh, wow, did they really rock the boat first day back at school? That was uh, <laughs> give a heart attack to everyone who's new to council and new to the mayor's office, like right off the bat. Really awesome work on the part of the Ontario government there. But first, uh, Doug Ford is a factor in our other main story this week, which is the Emergencies Act inquiry. Um, and if you've been busy following municipal election stuff like we have, maybe you haven't had a lot of time to follow what's been going on in Ottawa. Uh, they are having a six-week inquiry. We're about one-third of the way through, close to half of the way through of this inquiry, which is in, in into the use of the Emergencies Act back in February to clear out downtown Ottawa of the Freedom Convoy protesters. Why did the government have to use the Emergencies Act? It's not really about assigning blame. There will be some kind of recommendations coming out of this about how um, maybe to best use the Emergencies Act in the future. But this is kind of a rakeout, all, getting all parties involved up to and including the Prime Minister of Canada, who will be testifying at some point uh, about why the Emergencies Act was deployed to end this situation. And of course, the latest bit of this is that Doug Ford is uh, pulling a, hmm, how best to describe it, a Lindsey Graham <laughs> uh, by going to court to refuse to answer his subpoena. Well, I was going to say a Trump, but yeah, <laughs> pretty much the same thing, right? Yeah, this is one of those uh, times where both of our stories kind of bleed into each other. But yeah, so uh, f- forever, not forever, I'm not sure of the exact time periods, um, Solicitor General Sylvia Jones and Doug Ford have refused mm-hmm. to come to Ottawa after being asked multiple times. Now, Doug Ford will insist that he was never asked, but he has been asked, and now they are, you know, the crunch is on and they they're said, you have, you have to come to the uh, commission, public order emergency commission, AKA the emergency act inquiry. And they are taking it to court 
saying that they have uh, parliamentary privilege in that. And I'm, you, you have to wonder whether the delay for coming back to sit was anticipating that this might be coming. So we're already kind of into topic two, but we'll get back to one in a second. Right? <laughs> and, right. and it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, did they do that intentionally? I mean, they really want, and this is my opinion, but others have shared it too. They really want Trudeau and company to wear this. And that was said in Queens Park today over and over. The it's a federal problem. It was a federal thing. Federal, 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 and the use of the Emergencies Act is a federal thing for sure. But there are so many um, parties combining police forces. I mean, you name it. That were involved in this and were supposed to cooperate. But it was it was pretty much absolute chaos from the get go, mm-hmm. which led to the uh, the Emergencies Act being called. At least that was the intent. Uh, the intent behind it, but getting back to the two that don't want to go and testify, uh, I can't remember. I, was it? Oh, Jim Watson had said that Sylvia. I'm not sure if it was Jones or Ford said it would be quote a waste of time to have politicians sitting around a table, and this is when yeah that was everything Ford. is transpiring in Ottawa. So yeah, and they're also insisting that it isn't a political thing. It's completely. A political thing. I mean, if you want to split hairs and say, well, it's a bylaw thing when the trucks are in the street and dudes are in a hot tub and they're letting off fireworks and they're harassing people, or to the greater degree, if people are, you know, setting an apartment building on fire, which was something that happened, I don't think they ever caught anybody. Or if you got I also somebody... don't think that was connected. Uh, no, oh, well, they, they say that it or... wasn't, but I mean, right. it, it's not proven, right? But it's, it, you know, it, it's, an, it's an element that there was chaos abound in, inside yeah. the let's call it the exclusionary zone no, use a no, police, <laughs> no police or no anybody available to chase yeah. after yeah. them yeah but then you know to a more extreme degree when you have somebody like uh <laughs> pat case oh, pat case pat king i don't want to call him pat case uh i know pat case was pat a- case is a lawyer <laughs> so <I'm thinking> about <laughs> legal stuff. sorry pat case if you're listening uh pat king um, what, what was his line? Wait till the real bullets start flying. I mean, isn't that a threat? Does that not sound like a threat? You know, so mm-hmm. many, many layers to this all interleaving into this, like the chaos that we saw. Yeah, there are multiple layers to this. And and one would think Doug Ford would want to respond to this, to the summons, um, if only to sort of refute some of the stuff that's been read in the inquiry so far, like, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau sending emails to Jim Watson saying like, oh, he's trying to avoid like, you know, getting it's essentially he, Doug Ford was trying to avoid getting his hands dirty because uh, for, for for political reasons, I guess wanting to, I, I guess insinuating that a lot of there might be a lot of Ford supporters and amongst the convoy or people that Ford might like to court. I'm not 100% sure about that because I, I seem to remember just as many a uh, expletive Ford flags as there were expletive Trudeau flags, maybe more Trudeau flags in the balance of things. But I mean, those, all the people who took part in those protests weren't fans of Ford either and still aren't for that matter. Oh, except for maybe Polyev. I I mean, Polyev, I think for him, it's a matter of political, uh, political bedmates. But you know, what what is interesting is that it, it is kind of laying out, um, just how number one messy it, the situation was on behalf of um, Ottawa police. There was the line from uh, the acting deputy chief whose name I wrote down and can't find now, but um, Patricia Ferguson, she said, you know, by the 
end of the first weekend, it was clear we were in over our heads. Um, we, you know, we followed our planning procedures. What we didn't do was that we listened to Intel from, you know, OPP and other sources saying that it was going to be much bigger and there could be more people coming out than expected. And a lot of that was like people buying out whole hotel rooms for freedom convoyers. Um, and, it, you know, there was a period of time where it looked like there wasn't a hotel room available in Ottawa at this you know particular time, which should have been a, a warning sign. And then on top of this, you also have apparently uh, Peter slowly uh, going Colonel Kurtz and seeing enemies <laughs> everywhere and talking about how, you know, f- the, <laughs> the solicitor general is trying to undermine him. Um, and by, you know, <laughs> you know, there's this line where he says um, he was going to crush anyone that got in his way. And then there are allegations that he wasn't following chain of command. And, you know, when you're in the police force, there's these chain of command type of things so i mean there seems to be like just an utter and complete breakdown of of procedures here and i mean on top of that is you know not to go back to doug ford but you know his line when he's at a question period on wednesday and he's like well uh you know well police don't answer to the political branch and, and vice versa it's like well who does the police answer to doug um the police don't answer to the people like we don't elect the police um so, you know, are you saying that the police are some autonomous unit of uh, the OPP is some autonomous unit of Ontario and you can't order them to go anywhere? It's like, I mean, and that's that's the reason why I think Doug Ford should be in the inquiry. But it's also probably the reason why Doug Ford isn't going to go to the inquiry, because, you know, if, if everyone if anyone remembers, remembers Doug Ford's tenure in the uh, Toronto City Council, he does not care for oversight and um I think it's probably safe to say a lot of the decisions he's made as premier have been reflected of uh, been reflective of a man who doesn't like or appreciate oversight. Well, they ordered the OPP into Ipperwash, so sure, right? So Doug so, Ford—that's before Doug Ford's time. So, but I, I, I don't think I don't think Doug I don't think he knows how it works, and I, I suspect no. that there was a lot of uh, coaching going on. That's probably well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in part two, I guess, but, um, or at least he doesn't, it's, it's not, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't want to know. Is he trying to say that, oh, it's strictly a police responsibility. It's the feds responsibility. It isn't me. There are no flies on me. I just want to like right. get out of this. Right. Right. Going yeah. back to the <clears throat> slowly and what the, what the levels of police that have testified uh, so far have said, it, it, it starts out like, oh no, we, we had it. We could have had it under control. And mm. then, it comes back and they say, well, it, you know, it wasn't a terrible thing that they uh, implemented the emergencies act. It was, it was an okay thing, but we had it under control. So it's, it's sort of revising itself as they, the more they talk, mm-hmm. but what really seems to have happened is the, is the disconnect between what they were calling in intelligence, the Intel, right. And what the plans were, which there didn't seem to be any, I mean, never mind, never mind the intelligence. Mm-hmm anybody with intelligence that sees this thing coming all the way across the country and followed anything at all on social media. And you know that there are levels within government, whatnot that follow these types of things. Why mm-hmm. uh, social media, otherwise telegram, whether it's CSIS, you name it somewhere out there, there's an Intel community and probably the OPP as well. And mm-hmm. all of those layers and definitely the RCMP mm-hmm. would know somebody in the ranks would know the depth of it because they they're 
they're trying to say, oh, well, we thought they were just going to come for a couple of days and leave. Like no one comes thousands of kilometers yeah. in an 18 wheeler yeah, to just come for the weekend and leave. Nobody does that. Right. No, yeah, no, no one goes, well, people do go to Ottawa for the weekend, but it's not like. <laughs> not from Vancouver. They don't. No. <laughs> With a truck of big flags that says, you know, we're going to pretty much try and take over the government and that's that i thought that was interesting too where there, there was this and i remember it coming up at the time about how there was talk of talks that they were going to sit down and and have a um a chat with with some of the protesters but that the conditions were well you know if you if you leave you know if you guys go and uh denounce the unlawful behavior then you know we'll think about talking and of course they didn't take that deal I'm not completely sure how it fell apart, but none of them. I mean, we saw what went on. None, you know, you, it's like, oh, this was, this is just the government doing what they do. So there was no way that was going to happen. I'm not sure what assurances they had about any negotiations because who was in charge of this thing? Like, I, I seem to remember there being at least three different factions in charge of this thing. So who were they talking to? Were they talking to all the factions? And if they get an agreement with one group that they're going to pull out, I mean, does that guarantee everyone's going to pull out? This wasn't. This was, you know, the, yeah. It was chaos, yeah. And I, I my my worry is that we're going to get to the we're going to get to the end of this without having like a rake out about just how much maybe um, sympathy the convoy had within the police service too, because you have all these yeah. emails going back and forth, even from Lucky saying, "Oh, there's still stuff we haven't tried yet. We don't need the Emergencies Act." And then she's like, "Oh yeah, no, we can use the Emergencies Act, sure." Um, so like, which one is it? Uh, you needed the Emergencies Act or you didn't need the Emergencies Act. Were they concerned about like, I'm not, like maybe not open rebellion, but there was going to be like blue flu or something if they went too hard without the um, the blanket cover of the Emergencies Act uh, going like if, you know, someone at, at the Ottawa Police Service or the OPP said like, we're going to start clearing them out now. Like you don't need the Emergencies Act to tow vehicles unlawfully parked. So I mean, how much of a concern was that? Like having that dissension in the ranks just to do their jobs. That's that's a, something I'm concerned that we miss or we will miss by the time we get to the end of this thing. Well, I think we talked about it at the time too. Mm -hmm. If it was a, a black group, if it was an indigenous group, it was of a mix of those. If it was environmentalists, mm -hmm. they'd have been gone in the day, within a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Had they behaved in the same way, but yeah. the groups that I just mentioned, don't behave in that manner. But there was probably some, it sounded like there was some fear that it was going to be, I think it was slowly that said it, a repeat of the G20. Uh, but that's, he's, he was Toronto based, right? I think that's where that is coming from because that would be tough to repeat. I was at that one, um, as you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, every, what I think something that has come out of, that is good that has come out of this is, exposing the fact that these disparate groups don't talk to each other, mm -hmm. which means they haven't talked to each other for a long time. Mm. I think if they're doing something ceremonial, like a March or whatever together, the police say that a uh, police die or whatever, a parade, they can somehow manage to organize that. No, oh, here comes the RSMP and here comes the, you know, and the OPP and here comes the, but this is just exposing the failure so heavily mm. uh, and not even the government's failure yet. I mean, we're, we're, I don't think we're even at that yet. It's like, okay, 
when you know once once it does go up the chain a bit and i'm not even talking ford who may or may not make it um, <laughs> i'm thinking not mm. but once trudeau is there then of course it'll just be you know that's that's when the uh, um i was gonna say the proverbial guns but the uh the verbal guns will open up from Polyev and company about Trudeau. Yeah. As soon as he starts talking, right, by it'll be spun every which. In fact, they're probably already working on the spin, how they're going to spin it. It was a failure. And well, what I know somebody is somebody had to do something, right? That's right. Well, what I know is that Doug Ford says he can't come and testify because he's uh, too busy at the legislature. And then he missed the first day of question period, um, which is a segue to talking about recent developments at Queens Park. They're back in session as of Tuesday. Uh, immediate mic drop kind of right off the bat is this new uh, More Homes Build Faster Act, which is another one of these tastes great, let's filling uh, nomenclature. So is that what it's actually called? I never heard the name. That's More crazy. Homes Build Faster, <laughs> no comma. More Homes Build Faster. Um, build Faster Homes Hulk Smash. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I mean, Hulk Smash is a pretty good metaphor for this because. Um, it does seem to be smashing the Planning Act, the Heritage Act, the Conservation Act, um, all of these acts, the Community Benefits Act, which is like so new that most places have just bare, including Guelph, just barely started initiating the community benefit charges. Um, so, you know, we have this situation now where this new uh, piece of legislation, more homes build faster, is uh, essentially tearing apart a lot of um, municipal procedures, oversights. Uh, throwing out fees for select kinds of developments, throwing out zoning. Um, and, and, you know, the thing is, you know, you want to build quadplexes and triplexes. Well, you know, Guelph is in the process of reviewing its zoning bylaw and uh, it's going to end, which when it's finally passed, will end exclusionary zoning. So a lot of this work is being done by this municipality and likely other municipalities. But uh, Hulk smash, uh, this is Hulk smash legislation, if there ever was one. Yeah, it's all it plays like an omnibus bill, really. Yeah, it's not. It's because it's not just about housing. When there's when there's stuff in it like streamlining the conservation authorities into one agency. Mm -hmm. I mean, that only to me that only means one thing. Now it's it's either they're going to download some of it, which I think they may do. Yeah, but some of it will also be if they are overseeing all of it, and there happen. This is just my opinion here. If there's a part of a conservation area that would, oh, that might make some good housing because it's nice and scenic, that will that will be in the cards. I think that's where this is going to go. So on the face of it, it's sort of like, okay, let's build more houses. It looks like everything's going to, the little drawing that they had, I'm sure you saw it, Adam, was okay, everything's going to be a duplex, and then a, you can put a garden house in the back. <laughs> uh, Which is another thing Well, yeah. uh, has already initiated, by the way. Yeah. You, you can so have tiny three units houses. on one property, yeah. Tiny houses, aka garden houses or laneway houses, it looks like it's going to be easier to slam those in. Fine. That's probably not a bad thing. But mm -hmm. where is this going to go? It's only, again, this is my opinion, this exists to help the friends because they wouldn't do it otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. So and I, I noticed um, Mike Schreiner came on and was talking about um, quadplexes, which would, which would build a lot of housing. But... Mm. The problem is the, the trend with housing is build build the giant house that's worth a lot of money as a single house and single owners. Mm -hmm. I know this, it, you know, it will increase homes to a degree, but does it increase 
affordable housing because the person is being all about affordable and I don't think that it does. Mm-hmm. It just kind of empowers uh, the developers to do what they want by getting certain things out of the way, like development charges and you're mm-hmm. going to spend the charges. And actually in a related story, which goes back to municipal John Tory coming out today, talking about very coincidentally, <laughs> very similar things that line up quite nicely with this legislation mm. uh, using the new super, <laughs> the superpowers, Tory smash, uh, strong powers <laughs> from the mayors, <laughs> including a favorite of Doug Ford. Now remember, they both had the same job at one point. They're both leaders of that party. Yeah. Yeah. Cutting red tape. Oh, right. No gravy. Cutting red tape. What does that mean? We're going to keep cutting red tape means throwing regulations out the window. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they'll say, I mean, there's something good. And they'll say, okay, we're going to, we're going to try and use city owned land for nonprofits. We're like, okay, mm-hmm. that's not, that's not all bad. Mm-hmm. But, but within that, it's like, think about the overarching way they build houses in Ontario. It's all of the friends. It comes back to the friends every single time. Well, here's the thing. Are any of these developers going to build geared to income housing or is this all straight to market? Like you can build the 1.5 million homes that Doug Ford says he wants to build. By the way, we're already at like half a million homes behind where we should be. So um, <laughs> good luck, everyone. But the like, are these $1.5 million homes? <laughs> they are going to be $1.5 Probably. million. Oh, homes, yeah. But Absolutely. The, the, the $1.5 million. Oh, I almost did it again. The 1.5 <laughs> million homes they want to build are all market homes. None of these, like there's no money here for, for geared to income housing or supportive housing or social housing or anything like that. And uh, the, the, one of the people from Spacing Magazine said this, he, he did a thing in the Globe and Mail. It's like, look, you know, the Planning Act documents um, from the province have carry as much weight in Guelph Aramosa as they do in downtown Toronto. So, you know, talk about just like a panacea of, you know, you're not really addressing like maybe specific housing situations because what's the difficulty in make building housing in a rural area or a predominantly rural area is a lot different than a pr- pr- um, predominantly exurban or, or urban area. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other thing of this too is, um, just the like some of this sounds like a good idea let's like get rid of regulations let's get rid of zoning but here at the end of the day again you're talking about building one and a half million homes and to get that done fast as fast as humanly possible you are taking away resources from cities that they will need to service those homes development charges the community benefit charges which cover things like roads and sewers and yep. water pipes and community centers and administrative buildings and libraries and parks and and um, all these other things. So it's like we're going to get to the end of this 10 year period and maybe we'll have the one and a half million homes. Maybe we won't. But then, you know, everyone's going to be like living in a field of homes where, you know, you, you get to and from your house on a dirt road because the city went bankrupt because it couldn't afford to build roads anymore because Doug, Dougie got rid of development charges to build stuff faster. It's Well, the water supply is bad because conservation regulations have been trashed. That's the other thing. You live in a city where the water comes from the ground and from the river, like Guelph, right? Yeah. So 
I, I, I'm almost going to guarantee that that's next. You know how if if Guelph gets a pipeline, it has to go to Lake Erie. That's gonna that will change. That's something that this new oversight body of the conservation authorities will throw out. They'll be like, no, you can just build your build a pipe to Lake Huron to service well, your water needs. And of course, how can the city not say no to that? Because then they'll be or not say yes to that. I mean, um, right. That that's what's gonna happen. It's just chucking so many things out of the window. And Ford always brings it down to these ridiculous and i mean really literally ridiculous statements about you know everybody wants a little white picket fence yeah i think a pain in the ass of white picket fences to maintain (laughs) 100 feet of them out there and they're a pain in the butt uh but that he just he breaks it down to this sort of like oh it's a great thing you know how you build affordable housing you build affordable housing you to build nonprofits, you have to build nonprofits. And he said something else. He said, well, governments haven't done anything for years. You know, the number one government that trashed housing in Ontario. And I keep going back to this, but it is absolutely true. The Harris government, his predecessors, his friends, same group of friends now were the ones that wrecked it all of those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Harris, we are not in the business of building homes. Yeah. Direct quote, maybe a little bit of spin there, but you know, that's, that's pretty much what he said. So now it's like, well, nobody did anything. So what are we going to do? We're going to empower our friends again to just build houses, as they say, not necessarily dwellings. Uh, it's just, yeah. Oh boy. Big scoop of BS. You know, it always touches a nerve. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, number one is like, they're taking a bat to converse, conservation authorities again. And right now all conservation authorities are in the process of like renegotiating agreements with their member municipalities because of legislation passed by the Ford government in the last term. The second thing is um, they're doing, they're, they're making the exact same screw ups they did in two in, in, in term number one, where they introduce like sweeping new bills that create massive change immediately. And they don't give cities advance notice. They just drop the bomb and walk away from the explosion like it's a Bruce Willis movie. And, and then the cities like, you know, are forced to try and clean it up. And then there's a lot of yelling and a lot of shouting from Amo and, and the big city mayors and stuff. And then they eventually come back six weeks later and go, ooh, I guess this was too much too fast. I guess we'll do, well, I guess we'll do half now or something. And I mean, yeah. it's like they learn nothing from term one. Speaking of learning things, we're going to throw it to an outgoing member of City Council next to talk about what she's learned. Uh, so stay tuned for that. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. That's number two on the most recent CFRU chart. The band is called Heaven For Real. 
The album is Energy Bar, and the song is called Slow Clap, <laughs> which is what I want to do when everybody says, oh, you know, congratulations to everybody that ran. <laughs> uh, you know, you did a good service. It's like, yeah, most of them did, but some didn't. So like, slow, slow you wanna, clap. You want to name names? No. <laughs> That's a topic for another show, or maybe the podcast. Yeah. Drink players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and we're gonna have some of the, our new our new friends in in the next couple of weeks. Um, but in the meantime, we're gonna say aloha to an old friend, um, and that's June Hoffland, who, who's the outgoing Ward Three City Councilor. She's been a city councilor since two thousand and six, so she has. If she hasn't seen it all, she came pretty damn close. Um, in this interview, we've been doing exit interviews with all the members of city council that'll talk to us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we're asking uh, June about the lessons she's learned and uh, what kind of unfinished business she's leaving behind her best day on council, her worst day on council. And because June's like worked pretty hard uh, trying to get more women elected to council and been a, trying to be a mentor to women in politics here in Guelph, um, you can probably say even though she wasn't running, she had a pretty good night on Monday night um, with seven women and one uh, one person who identifies as non-binary uh, joining council for the next term. So we'll ask June all about that stuff in uh, our interview, which I will click play on right now. Okay, well, June Hofflin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here, Adam. I'm so glad. I wanted to start off, and I, I when we kind of talked before, I said I didn't want to get you into doing some pundit stuff about the election, but I, I, I did want to start here because I know that one of your goals um, with this election and a lot of the work you do in, you know, sort of promoting women in politics um, is to get more women in council positions, and here we are couple of days after the election and we now have seven female members of council one non-binary member of council uh that's a pretty good record to sort of leave on uh as someone who's been promoting more women in politics isn't it so adam can you um i don't think you can imagine how excited i am because yeah in 2018 we had a campaign school and uh, I think three or four women got elected throughout the region and one particular in Guelph. And now, um, yes, I'm just so excited that uh, the numbers are coming up for women and the campaign school, I believe, uh, did play an integral role in getting women um, excited about uh, putting their name in the hat and um, yes, I just, I haven't spoken to the, any of the women yet that helped um, bring this uh, together, but I'm sure everybody is hoot hooting because this is just great news for Guelph. It is really great news for Guelph and yeah. <laughs> um, speaking I just to- I wanna say, can I yeah. just interrupt and say that um, I, I believe that when you add women um, to politics, it changes politics. and. I, I think it was Justin Trudeau that said that, and um, it, it will it it does um, make for a better community when mm -hmm. you have that uh, that balance. Mm -hmm. and, and I would just say too, but and before we get into sort of your history and and you, you know your experiences and things, uh, you have Michelle Richardson sort of succeeding you in in Ward Three. 
Uh, I found it interesting that the one woman in that race ended up uh, taking the second seat. Um, was that interesting to you? <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was interesting to me. I was happy about the result. I had met uh, with Michelle and had a, a good chat with her and was optimistic about the contribution she could make. So um, again, I think the balance of a, 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 a uh, in council is important and I, I'm, I'm really happy for Michelle and she does come with a lot of experience. Uh, I thought it quite funny that um, um, uh, Councillor Alt said it's a great alternative. <laughs> well, he's probably, he's probably used to being bossed around by a woman by now. So that's right. That's, that's why it's funny to me because I was like his um, council spouse. <laughs> that's funny. And I'm not saying that Michelle will be, but yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was thrilled that um, Michelle um, uh, was uh, elected. Uh, I do know that there were others that were quite talented and would have done a great job as well. And, um, but there's only, there was only room for one winner. That's, so Yeah, true enough. Uh, so I want to talk about you then. Um, going back in time, you uh, first got elected in 2006 and, and, you know, maybe some of our listeners um, are, you know, moved to Guelph uh, between then and now, and um, you know, or, or have just sort of gotten invested in politics recently. So um, take us back to the beginning. What motivated you to run uh, way back in 2000, maybe not way back in 2006. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I will say that, um, I never aspired to be a counselor. Like I didn't wake up one day and decide to be a city counselor. Uh, as you know, as a matter of fact, I I always thought of myself as a community builder and somewhat of an activist. I was involved in Walmart, the Mitchell Farms, the convent, uh, saying no to the pipeline. I was involved in the fight against pesticides. I fought hard for um, inner schools not to be closed when they were changing the boundaries. So I always thought of myself as an activist. And um, I guess, and you know the story that um, in my own neighborhood, an application came forward to construct 450,000 square feet of commercial, which was going to be big box stores. And I mobilized the neighborhood and we met weekly for months in my kitchen talking about how we could find something compatible, not necessarily opposed, but something compatible. And during that process, I learned about zoning and the planning process and CPR and OMB and bylaws and all these acronyms and rules. And I, I came to understand that the city truly lacked um, meaningful community engagement and they had this kind of dismissive consultation process. So I also learned that the councillors sitting in the um, horseshoe didn't necessarily represent me or my values. Mm. So I decided that I would, um, I would put my name forward and, uh, you know, give voice to those, uh, the diversity in, in our community. So I would say it's been a productive and, uh, is this what's that word tumultuous 16 years <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because in 2006 
I won by a landslide in 2014, was it? Yes, I only won by five votes. That's right. So it's been, you know, that's why I say tumultuous. It's been like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been kind of on the, you're kind of one of those proof points that every vote makes a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, the, the development you were speaking of, that was uh, the, the what we call the Lafarge lands. Um, yeah. And, you know, what drove you into politics uh, was, to, you know, to get a, 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 the right development there, I guess, is is the way we're putting it. And yet here you are leaving 16 years later, and we're still kind of negotiating what's going to end up there. <laughs> It is true. And the irony is just last week, we got a, an amended uh, application again from the um, developer to um, add a few more units. But um, I think it's a very complex and complicated application because in, for that uh, amount of development to happen in the, on the Lafarge lands, there has to be an underpass. Mm. And I think that's stalling the project. It's like, who's going to pay for it? Is council going to suggest that, or our staff going to suggest that, you know, they come up with a, a, um, a dollar value that will be contributed by the taxpayers and the developer will contribute so much. So um, I think that's kind of stalling the project is making it accessible because that was in the minutes of settlement when we um, went to the OMB that an underpass was necessary. Yeah, I, it's just it was it was a big issue when I moved to Guelph almost twenty years ago, and you know here it it, it still sits there. Um, they they took all the trees down. I guess it was 2018, 20, 2017, 2018 when we talked about that. Um, I mean, it speaks to sort of the how maybe not how slow processes move, but you know just how. And maybe this is a lesson for all those who are coming into council now that uh, a four-year term kind of isn't enough to see the fruition of things that sort of galvanate you into politics. There, there are longer time horizons, and maybe those are longer than we like when we're, we're looking at some of these projects. I would totally agree. That was one of my, if you were to say to me, what was one of your biggest surprises? My, one of my biggest surprises was how long everything <laughs> takes. You know, libraries, whatever it is, it uh, it just seems to take a really long time to get things done. And I understand that. I understand the process now. But at the time, I didn't uh, I wasn't as aware as I am now as a counselor. I wasn't actually going to talk about surprises, but I was going to ask you how your time on city council has changed you as a person. You know, what is that? Ex th these last 16 years, how have they change the way you think, to change the way you, you know, interact with people, interact with the community? Um, wow, you should have sent me that question in advance, Adam, because <laughs> that's a philosophical question that, you know, um, how has that changed me? I would, I would say that um, it's challenged my worldview. Mm. I believe my 16 years on council has um, been a journey and it has, um, there's been a lot of growth, um, a lot of uh, collaboration. Uh, I've learned a lot about myself and what I value. But yeah, the biggest lesson in that regard would be um, 
my worldview. Mm. There's all, always two sides to a story. And I'm a person that likes to have a win-win situation. And that was one of the hardest things for me to do um, in my role as a counselor was to um, make it a win-win for everyone. Mm. It makes me wonder then, um, in terms of being on the inside and uh, how people sort of understand how like the decisions made. I mean, there's the side of council we see, which is what happens when, you know, the mayor gavels it in and gavels it out and what happens between those two points in time. But there's also the stuff that happens um, in email and text chains and there's, you know, closed meetings and conversations and, 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 you know, when you see another counselor at a community event or something, I guess, what is the thing about being a counselor that you understand that you wish the general public uh, did or, or understood in the same way. What's something you know that they don't about being a counselor? I don't, I would say generally speaking, people understand that it's a huge commitment of time and energy. I don't know if they understand the work that goes into reports, reading reports, it's a huge learning curve. You get parachuted in and there's no mentors, no, no um, manuals to go to, no tutorials, no training. Um, so yes, I would say that um, it's, um, yeah, I don't think there's any secrets, but I just think that it's much more, um, there's an, an emotional investment also. That's mm -hmm. what I was referring to when I said the win-win. And there's a sacrifice for families, a lot of sacrifice for families because you have evening work, night work, sometimes till midnight. <laughs> and um, it, uh, it, it's that life-work balance is sometimes um, jeopardized. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And I feel that too, as someone who just sort of observes and, and reports about council. Um, let me ask you this then, uh, what are you going to miss about working on council? Like in terms of the, the day-to-day -day work, what's, you know, what, 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 what about the work are you going to miss the most? Not the reading of five and 600 page reports. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I'm going to miss, um, the relationships I've built with staff. I'm going to miss relationships that I have built with my community partners. And um, of course, I'm gonna miss the constituency work a lot. I like to help people. And that's what a lot of my focus has been to look for resolution and help people through, navigate through uh, City Hall. And, um, yeah, I think I'm going to miss uh, my colleagues and just, you know, the ego of council sometimes is, um, <laughs> is, is overwhelming because you're called counselor and you are um, um, invited to everything and uh, you do ribbon cuttings and you're asked to contribute to um, conferences and uh, workshops. So, I'm going to miss that kind of, I think, ego part of my job, but 
I'm I'm not going to miss uh, that the long hours, the um, change, change, change. Everything is changing. The landscape is changing every day. We know what's happening at, at Queens Park, and I think it's going to be. Um, that change is going to take away a lot of power from uh, municipal councils. Mm. It sounds like you're, you're kind of making a very pointed comment there, especially with the news yesterday about uh, the mm-hmm. new the new changes to all these acts, to, essentially to accelerate housing. But yeah. you know there is a, there is going to be a cost to sort of the the autonomy and the independence of municipal councils too. Yes, absolutely. And um, yeah, moving forward, I think that um, that it was every councillor has an expiration date, I believe. <laughs> but for me, I think this was good timing to step away. Tell me this then: what was your best day as a city councillor? And then, oh my re- gosh. reversely, what was your worst day as city councillor? Um. Well, my worst day was when I woke up yesterday and I found out that only 20%, 27% voter <laughs> turnout. My yeah. Goodness. That's, yeah. I, yeah. I, I just can't believe that. I'm very disappointed about um, the 27%. So my, my best day. Oh goodness. I had so many good days. Uh, Saving of the convent, that vote, the library, the Baker Street, that was a big vote. The carts, we got carts. And remember, we took so much slack for that. And um, do you remember the days? You're probably not old enough. We used to put our garbage on the curb in bags, black bags. You remember I do, that? I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, the day that we that um, I stood up at a, a conference on poverty and said, if anyone wants to um, help me, uh, wants to be a part of a, a, a community initiative to eradicate or eliminate poverty, would, would you please sign this piece of paper? And I had 52 people sign up and, and along came the, the creation of the Poverty Task Force. And we have done amazing work. Um, the, the community energy initiative, pressing the button on yes to that was a big deal for me. So I have a whole list of, um, important decisions and, and great work that, um, we, we accomplished throughout my 16 years. That's for sure. We talked a bit about one, at least one piece of unfinished business with, uh, the development of the old Lafarge site. I'm curious though, um, what was kind of holding you back or like, I guess, holding you into council? Like, there, you know, I've, I've heard this from a lot of your, I guess, now former colleagues that they were sticking out out to see the end of like certain projects. Is there something other than what we've talked about so far, like any unfinished business that you're leaving on council that might have persuaded you to, to stick it out another four years? I don't think I have any unfinished business, Adam, but I would have liked to seen shovel in the ground for the library many, many years ago, not just (laughs) this term, but as you know, um, many years ago, that was very important to me. And I would like to see more revitalization downtown. That was another big, um, big campaign. Um, promise that I, I would have liked to fulfill. Um, our downtown is changing; it needs lots of work, and 
I would like to be part of that revitalization. And I think the library will really help with that. So I, if I just name one, I would say that it would have to be, you know, I would like to have pictured myself with a shovel in my hand, lifting the dirt, but I'm very confident that is, it's going to come to fruition and that this new council is going to make it a priority. Well, then let's talk about your future then. Um, I, I reread the, the interview you did with Guelph today when you announced that you were stepping away and you said you were going to move on to something else, though you didn't know what that, would, that looked like at the time. Having had a couple of months to think about that, uh, do you know? Do you now know what you're moving on to? Yeah, I do know a couple of things. Some I'll reveal and some not. But um, I am moving on to being um, really involved in my granddaughter's life. She's two years old. Nice. Um, I am going to be involved in some kind of arts. Um, maybe learn the ukulele. Maybe take singing lessons. <laughs> But um, I'm looking at it at periods of time. So from now until the end of December, I'm hoping to do some mentoring with the new counselors. I'm hoping that um, I can get organized a um, post uh, campaign coffee chat and bring all the uh, new women on council in the same room and, and um, have a chat about council and um, you know, catch them up on some of the important initiatives. So I think from now until Christmas, I will probably be doing some mentoring. And then I, I will be moving on from there to um, uh, some community work. But yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't decided exactly what that's going to look like. <laughs> uh, can you picture yourself if, you know, a little less than four years from now being still involved in campaign school and still offering that, you know, mentorship and uh, that advice as a, as I guess, a, a, I don't want to use the word elder stateswoman, but sure, let's call you an elder stateswoman. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, the grammar of politics. Um, I think that I will always be involved in my community in some capacity you know, Adam, it's interesting to me because when I started to campaign, when I put my name forward and I went knocking on doors, I realized that I had been campaigning all my life because I started, you know, when I was 16, um, candy striping. I did all kinds of volunteer organizations. I did, um, I sat on boards. I um, helped with breakfast um uh, initiatives. I, I, I did all kinds of, I helped with the CSA, developed the CSA, the Community Shared Agriculture, the Old Growth Forest. So I was always busy within my community. And so when I went knocking on doors, people would say, oh yeah, I sat on that board with you. Oh yeah, you were on Block Parents. Oh yeah, you did the uh, breakfast program at, you know, so um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I guess I had been campaigning all my life. It's interesting you should say that, though, because, you know, we're coming out of the election. People think that community engagement begins and ends with an election, whether you vote or whether you run. But it doesn't like the involvement in some of the groups you're talking about is kind of key. And it's also on the job training for future roles in government, too. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And as I as I mentioned, my community work won't be ending um, just because I am no longer an elected official. Mm, mm -hmm. um, 
any sort of, I guess, parting words then? And you, you know, you talked about how you're going to be having, uh, you know, sit down conversations with some of the, the new counselors who are taking over, but I'm going to phrase it this way too. Uh, if June Hofflin 2022 were to give advice to June Hofflin running for the first time in 2006, what kind of advice would you give yourself running for the first time now that you're leaving? Um, let me just think. So um, I would say to my colleagues that uh, you need to grow thick skin. I always tell people I'm a size two. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you need to remember that it's not about you, but it's uh, rather about the people you serve. So check your ego at the door. I would suggest uh, be prepared by reading your reports and listening. I'll say that again, reading your reports and listening. Um, be responsive to those that elected you. Be open-minded, willing to collaborate. Um, one thing that I struggled with a bit was letting go and moving on. So I would say there should be no shouldas, couldas, or lying awake at night wishing for a different outcome after you've pushed the, the button. Um, be, be respectful. There are a lot of diverse voices around the horseshoe and you need to be respectful. Um, I would say that you need to respect staff. Yep. Cause they're, they're really the experts and they'll always bring forward their best professional advice. I think one of my strengths was building relationships, relationships with my constituents, um, with staff and um, and and my colleagues. I think that was a, a strength of mine. So lots of advice, um, lots of kind of lessons learned that I wish I had been told before uh, I started this job. <laughs> Well, let me stroke your ego one last time and say thank you, Councillor Hoffland, for uh, 16 years of great work and all your input and advice and uh, consultation and, and everything you've done with council. I know that you will be missed by your constituents and uh, maybe even by those of us in the media. So we... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, but thank you for, for uh, giving us this opportunity and uh, good luck wherever you land. Yes. May I, Adam, thank you as well for the work you do. I, I, I look forward to reading your articles every time it comes up on my feed. And I thank you for the work that you do and the fair reporting you do and your opinions. I, I just think you do a, a marvelous job um, of sharing what's going on at City Hall with the public. Out of, at, in in um, what kind of language is it? In, in What's the word I'm thinking of? I'm not, I'm not so making it very comprehensive. Okay. I, I was, I was worried that uh, there was going to be other commentary there, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I think you do a great job. Adam. I really do. And I, we really appreciate it. And I just would like to say that um, running for office is a ton of work. And um, I'd like to acknowledge all the candidates that made this sacrifice and thank them and thank those who supported the candidate the candidates that were running. Perfect. Well, thank you, June. And uh, we will, we will see you out and about. I'm sure. You will. Thank you, Adam. 
So once again, that was June Hoffland, who will be hanging around in some capacity, uh, just not on city council. And uh, was well, there an emeritus category for? I guess that's interesting. Yeah, no, I I said that to to June that she should uh, she should she should like have some sort of ceremonial position as you know the you know she can I, I maybe she can give like not royal assent but like. Oh yeah, like a little governor general. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I like that for her. Um, but I also like the fact that it's six o'clock and we can go home now. So that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to this show again, you could download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite app such as Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter. And if you're on the 933 right now, stay tuned for (laughs) Turtle Island Underground at 6 o'clock. It's a good news show. Not to be missed. Not to be missed, yeah. So keep it it locked here. Along with open sources, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's a good lineup is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Stellar, stellar Thursdays. <laughs> days is on at eight. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> followed by the mod. Vernon Shirley. Yeah. All right. Stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday for another edition of Open Sources. And we will see you then.